Hi, this is Bob Sorrentino from Italian Roots and Genealogy, and I'm here today with Justin Cassio, uh, who's got some great stories. He's got a great website, Mafia Genealogy, and he's also working on a book um, much like I am. I don't know who will be finished first, but mine's been taking a long time. So welcome, Justin. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure. Uh, so I want to certainly talk about the, the website because I think it's really, really cool and, and how your, your, your book is coming. But uh, you, your family actually is Corleone, unlike the fictional character. Is that right? That's right. It is a real place with real people. My father's father, uh, both of his parents came from Corleone as teenagers and settled in East Harlem together. Oh, so Harlem. Yeah, we just watched a show about that. And I, and I think, um, you know, a lot of Italians, I think even Italians from New York, don't realize that Harlem, there was a very large Italian population in, in East Harlem. Yeah, um, one of the nicknames for it was Little Palermo because it attracted a lot of Sicilian immigrants who came in the second wave. Uh, Little Italy, farther south in Manhattan, was an older Italian community and is already established by the time my ancestors were arriving uh, around 1900. Oh, wow. So that's pretty cool. So um, what got you started on doing your ancestry research and, and you, know, you know, when did you start? Uh, my research began about seven or eight years ago. I was uh, suffering with back pain. And eventually had to have a, a surgery that had a grueling recovery period. And during the period when I was uh, bedridden, um, I uh, resigned from my position editing a newspaper and began doing research on American history and on the history of slavery. Because the question that was in my mind was, who do I owe whose existences came before mine to make my life possible because my life was feeling, even though it sounds pretty bad, it was feeling pretty charmed. Um, I was utterly helpless, but I was being taken care of. I was cared for and loved and um, it did eventually all turn out. Okay. I'm doing great now. Uh, and it was a, a humbling experience and the emotion that came up in me was gratitude. And that's, my research. And it began with what I knew of the origins of America and how some of what I think of as um, my privileges and my freedoms were purchased um, with the blood and sweat of other people. And they're not all my ancestors, but they do come before me. And so that's where my research began. And then it started to narrow down to that genealogical focus. How did I get here? How did my people arrive here? How did we become part of um, the American experience? So that today I can say unequivocally, I'm an American. I don't even hyphenate it. It's, this is my experience. This is where I grew up, where my parents grew up, where their parents grew up. And so that was um, a similar sort of a story because I'm grateful for their lives as well. And even though they did not imagine my life, they made it possible. Uh, yeah, and I, I think we all have those similar stories. And it's it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, uh, especially on some of the Facebook sites and everything, I'm Italian and we're all Italian and, you know, uh, or we're Italian-Americans. But really, the Italians just see we're Americans. <laughs> they don't see us. Italians as are right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and even our Italian food isn't quite the same as, uh, as <laughs> comes from Italy. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, what, what's available here and what's available there, as you know, because we both like to cook. So uh, oh, yeah. it's it's what was available. Um, right, so so you started looking at, you know, American roots to a certain effect, and then you started look, digging back into Italy. So um, at what point did you make that connection back to Sicily and um, what have you found in your research of Sicily and the family? I had a couple of stories to go on, not a lot of information. My grandmother, when I was very small, told me a couple of stories. One of them was from the 1950s when she was pregnant with my aunt and she and my grandfather went back to his native Corleone to meet his relatives and to stay there for uh, a little while. And uh, that visit, she described it to me, and it was so vivid. She talked about the dirt streets. She talked about all these flies and how the front door of the house where they were going to stay didn't have a door. It had a beaded curtain. And my grandmother was horrified. <laughs> my grandmother grew up in Astoria, Queens, <laughs> to a certain level of technology. So this was way beyond her experience. Um, and so she managed to convey to me just all of the feelings that she had about this place, the long, honors journey and how tired and in pain she was, uh, how strangely old-fashioned people were. For instance, the fact that she was pregnant, she wasn't allowed to discuss that in mixed company. Mm. There was a bachelor uncle in the room, and she made an offhand remark about it. And people looked at her like askance. Oh, the American is being really uncouth here. Uh, but the, but she also she told me the name of the town, and I remember her saying it. I remember the word on her lips, you know. Um, and at the time, I did not have the association with The Godfather because I was too young to have seen the movie. Uh, but later, I was able to remember what she told me. And then um, my sister had done some research for her uh, master's thesis in anthropology. She um, interviewed our great uncle and uh, and was able to find out some details about the immigration and uh, who came over together. So I had a set of uh, of siblings and their names and uh, and I had the name of the town and so I was able to do enough research to get them back to Corleone. But I was not a very good researcher yet um, in that I didn't know how to um, be sure I had the right family. And somebody on my mother's side of the family had already done some of this research and had identified the wrong set of ancestors in Corleone. So I was able to figure out his mistake. And then I was able to basically, what I did was I, I um, recorded all of the families with those names in Corleone. I, because Leo Luca Cassio, who is my great-grandfather, is a very common name in Corleone. And so I found all of the Leo Luca Cassios and looked at all of their families, all of their sibling groups, until I was sure that I had the right family. And then once I did, I was able to trace their roots back all the way to the 1600s because on family search, they have the church records for Corleone going all the way back that far. And so I was able to trace almost every line of, of his family tree in Corleone. Wow, that's, that's, that's great. Yeah. Um... And that's a lot of people struggle with the search records. I, I have my um, I have my mom's family back to about 1750, which as far as the, you know, the Antonati records go, which I was amazed to find because they they come from uh, Torito Bari. And and for some strange reason, I don't know why um, Torito has some of the best records on the Antonati. Um, my dad's father, I was stumped. I could not find the. Sorrentino, I knew that my great grandfather had to be Achille, 
because that was my uncle's name, the oldest uncle, right? Uh, I could not find a record for him. And eventually I, I got um, some help from over in Italy and, and they got me all those records. And then my, um, my grandmother, my, da- my dad's mother was easy to find because I had my great grandfather's, I call it a calling card. It's about the size of an index card. And it has his name and it says he's from the Dukes of Capricota. So I I plugged him in and I couldn't find him, but I found an ancestry chart from Angel Fire that had a Nicola Piromalo marrying Amelia Caracciolo. And I never heard that name, never knew who that was. So... What happened was I called my cousin who lived with my grandmother and she said, oh, of course, that's Nanny's mother. Little did I know that this Caracciola family was one of the most prominent families in Naples going back to 950. And there's all these ancestry charts, you know, tracing all the people and the cousins and the aunts and the uncles and all of that kind of stuff. So that was a that was fairly easy to find once you once you have that clue and everybody says how do you do that and I said I was just lucky my grandmother brought these cards from her father over to America and that was that was that was the link you know uh so now have you been able to go yourself to the town to Corleone or you haven't gotten there yet I have not traveled no no someday I would like to go yeah we were supposed to go last April that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we're hoping maybe we'll be able to get there in September this year. We were, we were in Italy once uh, about 25 years ago, but I didn't, I hadn't been doing any research. So I had no idea that um, I knew my father's family was from Naples, but I didn't know that they lived a half a mile from the train station. And we took the train from Rome to uh, Naples to pick up a car and we could have walked to the street where all of these people lived. And I had no idea. So, uh, but since then I found cousins and, and things like that now. So have you been in contact with family over there yourself, or, you know, through, through Facebook or other media? I have. Um, in fact, one fourth cousin who I've made contact with has been an incredible lifeline. Uh, she's, um, she's interested in the stories of old people. This is what she told me. And, um, and so uh, she has wonderful relationships with all of these uh, relatives of ours in Corleone. And um, she was able to give me a picture of my great-great-grandmother on the ship that she left wow. Sicily on with two of her daughters. And I'm so happy to have that image. It was, it's one of the only pictures I have of my uh, ancestors, of course, who lived so far before me that I've never saw them in, in the flesh. Um, and she was, um, she was able to give me some other um, pieces of, uh, uh, of history. Um, one of them was a political flyer from one of our relatives when he ran for office in New York City. Um, and we've been able to uh, connect some of our family stories. This is how our families are connected. When my twice great-grandmother, Angela Grisasi, went to New York City after she was widowed, uh, she moved with most of her children. And she moved in with her sister, who was married and living there. And that sister went back to Corleone and Mm. stayed there. And my cousin, who I've been talking with, is descended from that sister. Oh, wow. She was one of, 
So her, she was one of those birds of passage, the ones who went mm-hmm. back, and mine yeah. was the one that stayed. We'll be right back. Italian Roots and Genealogy is proudly sponsored by Your Dolce Vita and Dawn Matera, connecting people to their purpose in life and continuing their legacy. For more information, contact Dawn at www.yourdolcevita.com. Wow, that's something. Uh, yeah, I, I have the same thing. I have a fourth cousin that I found uh, from my grandmother's father. And same thing, you know, we've been able to put things together and they've, they've had a few artifacts with this crest on it. And, and I asked them over there, I said, is that all you have? Isn't there somebody over there that has something? And they, they told me that there was one uncle who was like the family historian, he passed away and they have no idea what happened with his stuff. Uh, uh, the other family, Cracciolo, I just recently found out that they turned over all of their archives to uh, the state archives of Naples. So when we go there, we'll be able to go in there and you know and see this stuff. And I don't know, maybe there'll be a ring or something that I, I, <laughs> I could grab onto. I doubt it. Uh, but there's still, you know, there are still family homes out there and things like that. And we were going to have a lunch with like about twenty of these cousins and and all get together. Um, but it is interesting because. We found out through all of this that uh, I had seen it, but when I talked to them, I got a better picture. It turned out that uh, my great-grandparents descend from the same family that uh, her aunt married his uncle a generation before. So, Mm -hmm. So when I found these cousins were actually connected to both families through this link, and, you know, you start thinking through your head and I'm like, well, you know, maybe they went to a, an affair or a wedding. Maybe they went to their wedding because they were older uh, and they met each other at this wedding or something like that. And that's how they wound up getting married, you know. Uh, so, you, you know, you start trying to figure out how did all this happen. And my story about coming to America, at least from, from that family, was Piramalo is not a very common name in Italy. In fact, they're all from that one family. So I couldn't figure out why if she had these linkages, would she come here? And uh, through another cousin that I found out we had the family of very close ties uh, in the 30s and 40s and 50s. Um, Her aunt had come in 1905. So again, she must have said, come to America. Supposedly her husband had a business. So maybe come to America, we'll set you up something like that. Um, but they were the only two that came to America out of the whole family. Um, my, my mom's family, they left my oldest uncle behind with his grandparents. And like your, your aunt, they had thought they were gonna go back, but they started pumping out children, I guess supported life. My, my um, Grandfather's two brothers or brother and sister were here. So they stayed. And as a result, all my cousins from my uncle John were all born in Italy. They didn't come to America till about 1955. And my, um, my uncle hadn't seen his mother in like 35 years old and had never met his brothers and sisters. Wow. Uh, you know, of course, they, 
you know, there was no Zoom. So <laughs> they sent some letters and money, but that was it. So they were there through the, you know, through the 20s and 30s and the war and, and everything. So some quite interesting stories there. Um, so now, so you have this Corleone connection. Mm-hmm. Is that what got you started in this whole uh, mafia genealogy? So how I found that connection, um, when my twice good grandmother, Angela came, she brought almost all of her children, but her oldest daughter, Biagia, married in Sicily and she stayed there. She was married to one of her, I wanna say first cousins. And that first cousin was also first cousins with Giuseppe Morello. And Morello is uh, a famous gangster. He was called the um, boss of bosses in his heyday, um, early 1900s, like the first, the first mm-hmm. decade of the century. Um, and I was curious when I saw a Morello in my family tree, I was like, Hmm, I wonder if he's related. Cause I just, I was just barely aware of him. And then I found that he was related in this way, that he's a cousin of a cousin. And, uh, um, it made me curious. I just wanted to know more about these gangsters and, and, and if I was related to more of them and what kind of family they came from and just felt like I had a lot of information and, and the curiosity just grew slowly. At first, I wasn't like very interested in the gangster lifestyle or, or the mafia per se or anything like that. Um, but I wondered because the one of the only stories that I had about my family is this one, which is Angela's uh, son, Leo Luca is my great-grandfather. He married Lucia Sodano. Lucia and her younger brother, Tony, sold olive oil, this is the story, to their neighbors in East Harlem. And the oil came from my uh, Leo Luca's older sister, Biagia, back in Corleone, who was married. So the story is saying my cousin, that, that my, um, my great-aunt, Biagia, had married into a family that produced enough olive oil that they were able to sell it for export in New York City through the family. At least that was the story anyway. It sounded weird and fishy, and and I still don't know if I totally believe it, Um, but I wondered if it had anything to do with Giuseppe Morello, if it was a front for some other operation or, or some kind of a euphemism that was passed down in family lore, you know, like as in, wink, wink, we were selling olive oil. It could have been anything. And I don't know the rest of the story. It's just this mystery that I had. And it was one of the only clues I had about how my family got on once they got here. And so uh, I just started following these leads to see if they would go anywhere and if I could make up, make more of a story out of this. And by the time I was done, I'd become an expert on the mafia from Corleone. Um, I've done the family trees of every gangster, every mafia associate, who I could find who was from Corleone or whose ancestors came from there um, in order to see if there were patterns uh, in how they were related to one another in who they chose to work with, uh, where they immigrated, who were their uh, compare, their godparents of their children um, uh, and what kind of professions they went into. And if their children were in organized crime as well, all these sorts of things to, to see uh, if I could find out more about how the mafia is organized through family. Wow, and that's, that's the subject of my book. Yeah, no, that's fun. That's fun. I, um, my, 
my aunt and uncle worked for a bakery in Corona, Queens, Leonard's. And um, this was probably, probably late 50s, I would guess. Uh, maybe mid 50s. Anyway, Profaci, the olive oil man, uh, was cousins, I believe first or second, I think first cousins with the owner of the bakery. And he came in one day and my aunt telling the story, I wish I had recorded this, I should have, it would have been great. Uh, but anyway, he comes in with his two sons and he's wearing a white fedora. And as he walks past, my aunt says, ah, there goes Charlie Chan and his two sons. So he shoots her a look and they go in the back to do whatever business and they leave. And as he leaves, the two boys are laughing hysterically, she said. And he looks at her and says, in Sicilian, you're a real wise one. And they leave. Her boss comes running out. Mary, Mary, what are you doing? Don't you know? Don't you know who that is? And she's like, yeah, it's Profaci, the olive oil man. <laughs> and oh, like, wow. <laughs> and he, I mean, and he was, you know, he was the olive oil man, but he was also <laughs> Joe Profaci. Yeah. Uh, and she said, she said, from that day on, whenever the two sons came in, they would look at her and smile and, you know, and uh, she, uh, there's a lot of stories about there. Uh, my cousin worked for Leonard's for a while. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of history from there, I don't think anybody's still involved anymore. But uh, the other fun story is, you probably know the Gallo brothers from uh, from New York City, from Brooklyn, uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Uh, well, my dad was a photographer for the Daily News uh, through uh, the 50s, 60s, uh, into the early 80s. Worked there for like uh, 38 years. And he, the, the, the Gallows, especially Joey Gallo, he, he liked to have his photo taken. There's no, you know, he, he loved it. He loved being in the paper. And um, my father was always taking his picture, coming out of court, going into whatever. And one day, uh, he's, my dad said, I'm trying to take his picture. He's coming down the steps of the courthouse. And some guy is there and he keeps pushing the camera. So I can't take the picture. So... He said, I went over to Joey and I said, what's going on? I can't take your picture anymore. What's the problem? He said, don't worry about him. He's being taken care of. About a week or two later, he was in the trunk of a car. <laughs> <laughs> My dad said, he came home and he said, they found that. He said, I hope it wasn't because of me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he, you know, he used to, to, he's got several pictures. In fact, if you, if you look up, um, if you Google Nick Sorrentino uh, or news photo by Nick Sorrentino, you'll see, uh, I think there's at least two online with, with the gallows. The one really big one was um, they tried to hang the, the brother. I forget, I forget which brother, uh, but my dad has Joey Gallo and the brother in the backseat of the car. And you could see the, the Garrett mark around wow. his neck in the photo. Um, so yeah, so that must be real fun, uh, you know, looking up these guys. So, so you're looking up all these mafia guys. What what struck you when you did that research that you said, "Wow, that's interesting"? Or how were they all intertwined? Or how did they, you know, all come together like that? There's something kind of funny about the family trees that I was looking at, my own, and then these gangsters. And it's 
I wanted to be able to quantify what I saw as the, um, the weird little differences in our family trees from what I was expecting. Um, for one, there's a lot of cousin marriage. Mm. Uh, and this is something I was able to quantify. Um, mafia families in Corleone marry in uh, at twice the rate of non-mafia associated people in Corleone. Uh, it's a way of um, preserving power within a lineage to marry back in, to marry uh, one's cousin. Um, similarly, there's, um, if you want to create a powerful alliance outside your family, you can do that with marriage. And a way to make that bond um, doubly strong is to have a double in-law marriage where two siblings will more from one family, mm. marry the siblings of another family. Uh, and so these two different patterns I saw a lot of. And the thing about double in-law marriages is they create double first cousins. Um, if you have these, these two couples, okay, and they're sets of siblings, like two brothers marry two sisters, for instance, um, all of their kids only have um, two sets of grandparents uh, right. that, are, yeah. that are all the same. They all share the same two sets of grandparents. Mm -hmm. These kids are all twice as closely related as regular first cousins. And so if you have a family that has this tradition of marrying in and you marry in, and then on top of that, you're already double first cousins, you're um, creating an even higher coefficient of relationship. You're even more closely related to your wife than you would have been. And so these are some patterns that I was seeing in my family, I was seeing it in the mafia families. And I was also seeing that what um, that I and um, these other gangsters I was investigating, uh, investigating shared a lot of common ancestors, like a lot, a lot. Uh, me and Toto Vina have like 30 different common ancestors. And I'm not, not like talking in straight back in a row. I mean, like your family tree fans out. Mm -hmm. And if you go off in this direction, you go off in the other direction, you're going to find different ancestors, different you know branches of your tree. And I share all these different branches with Rena and Provenzano and Morello and all these other gangsters that I've researched. And a lot of them are also closely related to one another. And so part of what I do in the book is I look at all these different family trees to see if I can find any lineages that I can point to and say, I think this is a mafia lineage, you know, that this is an important family because it keeps happening in all these different gangsters trees. Uh, and so that's, that's what I've done. And what I'm theorizing is that there was a, um, uh, what I call a mafia nobility in Corleone, that there was a small group of families who were recognized and continue to be as uh, important lineages in, maf in, in the mafia in Corleone, that to marry into those families is to increase your power and status. To be born into one of those families is to be born with that power. Uh, and there are people who are, even today, uh, still important in the mafia who come from those families. One of them is uh, the current boss of the Genovese family in New York, Barney Bolomo. Wow. And I was going to, as you were talking, I was going to say that it's almost like the European royal families when they did all of these intermarriages and they did, you know, uh, they did it to solidify power. They did it to make an alliance. So the mafia is doing the same thing in, in Corleone. And, and how far back does the mafia actually go in Corleone? Um, that's another thing that I uh, write about in my book, because there's not a real clear consensus among mafia writers at exactly when and how the mafia began. Um, most writers, and I would agree with them, say that it happened right after feudalism ended, which is uh, mm. 1812 in Sicily. And it was mostly uh, 
uh, with the, uh, the Sicilian Mafia is a phenomenon confined to the western uh, tip of the island. Uh, so that's the where and that's the when. Uh, and then the how is about how the estates were managed by uh, their absentee landlords. Uh, they would have uh, estate managers come in and, and run them for them. And those people, because they were on the ground, they were the ones that had real personal power. And uh, people didn't trust the government as far interior as Corleone, because the government rarely reached that far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the people who had any real power in the town were people who had local power. And it was usually individual power. It was like the power of a strong, charismatic man, not the power of an office. And the power of those estate managers persisted after feudalism ended. So they no longer had the authority invested in them by the, uh, by the king and by God to uh, tell peasants what to do. Now they did it because it was a power invested in them personally as strong, charismatic men. Uh, wow, that's really interesting. So, so as you were talking, I was thinking about uh, the, the book and the movie, The Leopard, and mm-hmm. where you have, where you have the, um, you know, the noble, right? And he goes into the town and everything. But as you were talking, I was thinking there's a character in that that doesn't appear to be a noble and he doesn't appear to be a government, government official. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got a lot of money and he's trying to make these alliances. So they don't overtly say it, but is it possible that he could have been one of those types of people that had a lot of power in the town and yes. had a certain amount of respect, mm-hmm. uh, but you're really not quite clear who this guy is in the book. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a real old school mafioso. There's a real... Um, a really uh, striking difference in the characters of an old school mafioso and um, a mafioso from the United States after Luciana, after 1931 or so. Um, American values made the mafioso into a really different kind of a character. He used to be somebody who wouldn't necessarily be able to point to on the street and say, ah, that's the mm-hmm. dawn of this town. Um, because it was important as old school Don, people knew you because they knew who you were because they were a local to the town and you were the person who got things done. You were an important person to know. You were a good person to have as a friend. Um, you didn't have to show it off by driving a fancy car, by dressing flashily. But an American gangster did take on that sort of an image. Like um, you were saying that the gallows who liked having their picture taken an old school mafioso would never have wanted his picture taken like that he wouldn't want to be notorious um but a new school mafioso did because american values pointed to a different kind of power your power wasn't in your ability to get things done in a corrupt bureaucracy your power was to get your picture on the front page of the daily news Mm -hmm. you were um in hollywood you were a rich businessman, you're a politician, that's what power was. And it looked very different in America than in the US, than it did in the old country. Yeah, and, and, and that makes sense. And I guess to your point, I mean, early on, it wasn't like that either here. I mean, they, right. they kind of kept a low profile as much as they could. It was only with, well, I know the gallows, but really it was really Gotti that really was out there 
you know, portraying that image with the suits and the whole thing. And um, one of my one of my aunt's cousins owned um, the um, the junkyards across from Shea Stadium in the '60s. Mm. He was always so he yeah, always had a you know new Cadillac convertible, you know those big '60s convertibles, and um, very dapperly dressed. Uh, the pinky ring manicured. And up until I was about, I don't know, 12 or 13, I was like perplexed about it. And then it, one day it dawned on me, hmm, maybe, maybe he's not just the guy who wants the joke. Right? Um, and um, he had come up to me one day, uh, again, I must've been maybe I was 14 or something like that. And he said uh, that they had just gotten a new machine in the, in the place that could crush a car down to one foot square. Wow. Very <laughs> handy. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I mean, super nice guy. I mean, it was just a, a really, really great guy. And, um, and in fact, when, when uh, I don't know how familiar you are with, you know, Queens, New York, but um, uh, they're buried in the same, cemetery is my whole family. Everybody's Italian is all in St. Mary's and Flushing and you walk down the rows and you see all the names from Corona Queens and, and you say, oh yeah, that's that one and that's that one and that's that one, you know. Um, so, well, this has been really fascinating, a lot of fun. Uh, so for everybody who's listening, what's, what's the website? I'll put it on the blog and we'll, we'll, we'll put it in there, but what's, what's the website and uh, what's the book gonna be? Uh, the website is Mafia Genealogy wordpress.com uh, and the book is not out yet uh, it's in my publisher's hands right now it's called in our blood the mafia families of corleone okay that's great well, well we'll all be looking forward to having that come out i think it's a fascinating story <laughs>